0: Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. You are faithful. You are so faithful to us. Individually, together, corporately. God, we celebrate your faithfulness last week. Your faithfulness for 92 years to this body of believers. Your faithfulness to your people for 2,000 years of your church, for thousands of years, for thousands of generations, you have been faithful. You have given us promises and you will keep them. Not because of us, but because of you. God, we want to participate in your faithfulness. We want to walk in it. You are with us. You are with us now, so we ask you help us to walk with you. The I am is here. Resurrection and the life is here. Help us to worship you alone. Help us to hear from you and obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good to see each of you, each of your faces. Um, the children's ministry is dismissed. The preschoolers can go back that way. The elementary school can go back way. The nursery is also open back that way. And uh, the youth are all up front here. That's awesome. And uh, good to have, not all of them, but uh, it's good to have each of you here. And uh, so welcome. And uh, just a few notes of uh, some updates, some family news. Uh, keep praying for Toon and Sierra. Uh, they they have had significant flooding in their area, and uh, right in their area. So uh, keep praying for them. That would be awesome. Uh, that, that video, you could tell, was just a little bit old because we slipped in Hannah and uh, the we had some, some urgent, uh, like Hannah and Ben having a baby. We slipped in that missions offering. So uh, anyway, they're they're having some flooding since that happened. So pray for Tune and Sierra. Um, John and Kay geese are flying today to India. His brother Chaco has been in the hospital. His heart is working at 15%. Um, and they're joyful. He's spent a life serving God. He's just 77, but they're hoping to be there. And, and, and uh, George was saying he had a good time with them. So we'll be praying for George and Kay as they're flying. Pray for Chaco and uh, for his family. And uh, we're grateful that we have family around the world. You can keep praying for Pastor Mike. I went and saw him. Uh, he really thought it was hilarious, my double-double comment about double surgeries and double cancer and all that. Uh, he was, we, were, we were rolling around laughing because he knows that song. Uh, but keep praying for him as he's dealing with his cancer. So, we, uh, anyway, let's let's move into uh, our sermon for today. So, what do you see? Um, so, I, I just thought I might as well start here because a lot of you are going, we see a big, ugly hole in your head. Right there. Um, so let's just start there. You, you all were praying for me, and yes, they, they uh, well, on Monday, I, I went in and they uh, dug out some cancer, and next Monday they do this one over here. So uh, it, uh, it reminded me of something, so I'll just, I'll just uh, to bring you there. So what do you long to see? Well, I long to see some health and some wholeness uh, for all of us our church for our community a flourishing community because of god's word so russ was here last week and reminded us to that we are called to disciple to make disciples to baptize them and teach them to obey everything i've commanded you and i loved his analogy of when your dad tells you to mow the lawn he doesn't want you to think about it meditate on it write a song um, about it have a discussion group he just wants the lawn mowed. and how easy is it for us to get into discussing the Bible, thinking about it, postulating about it, wondering what the what the original means, and um, not just do what Jesus asked us to do? I was reminded Joshua one says the same thing. It says he's going to be with us. It says it says this in the, in that great commission. It says all authority is given to me. Go make disciples, and I'll be with you wherever you go. And and in Joshua he says. I will be with you. You know, folks, he's going to be with us. And then he says, so obey me. Meditate on everything I've said to do it, and I will be with you. So that I'll be with you, listen, and obey are key. Um, So James says the same thing. He says, look and listen, and then go beyond that. Do it. So um, he says this. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. It has the power to save your life. So don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves, for if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget your, what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Everybody loves Joshua 1. It says you're going to make you prosperous and successful, but it's only if you do meditate, learn, so you can do what I've commanded you, then you'll be prosperous and successful, and I'll be with you. Just do it. So... As I was sitting in the doctor's office, I went to the dermatologist, and uh, so I, you know, earlier this, this year, uh, my urologist was saying, your PSA keeps going up, I think you need it. So I went in and had prostate surgery. They dug around, dug out this prostate, and they said, oh, actually, yeah, six months to a year, this would have been spreading around your body. It was beginning to spread, but we got it all. Praise God. Um... Then hernia, one of my hernia repair came loose, so I had to go ahead and get that re-repaired because of the surgery. Just after that, I went into the dermatologist's office, and uh, he said, oh, let's biopsy that. Yep, sure enough, that's some basal cell cancer. So we need to get that out. So Monday, I went in, and they numbed it up, and then he took this knife and went and said, here it is. Here's what we took out. We're going to go see what's in there. And so, he, so I go sit in the waiting room. And uh, as I was sitting in the waiting room, I thought, you know, they told me I should go to the dermatologist every year. Then 2020 came. And, you know, it kind of inconvenient to get there. So I, I didn't go. And then 2021 came and went. And then 2022, I started looking in the mirror and I thought, what is that on my head? I wonder. I said, you know, it'll probably go away. It's not really going away. This is whatever, March. I don't know when it was. Um, I probably should go see the dermatologist. And I walk away, and I wouldn't do anything. And then I come here, you know, what is that thing? It's changing now. I, I should probably do something about that. I'd walk away. Finally, my wife made a dermatology appointment for me. Thank God we have good wives. She said, I'm making a dermatology appointment. Let me just make a dermat." So I went in, and they said, yeah, that's cancer. So he, anyway, so I'm sitting there thinking about this. He went and froze it and did all the lab work, came back. So we got to get some more on this side. So they cut some more out, went and biopsied that, sat there for about an hour, and they came back, we got to get a little more. So they came and they cut a little more out. So the good news is they talked just what they needed, but all the cancer is gone from here and from here and just this little bit left over here. But, you know, a lot of us, anybody else ever procrastinate about things like this? Like medical departments? Yeah, Jim, you would never do that, would you? No. Uh. Um, some of us, because, you know, it might hurt. Cancer can hurt a lot more. But it, I was willing to have them. And then, you know, afterwards, you know, got all kind of, you know, I had to ice myself. And then I, I was hoping I could see today because my eyelids were full of purple, you know. So it wasn't particularly pleasant. But I'm, it's worth it to have the cancer gone, right? So obey God's word. Look and listen, and then do it. You might have to get help because you might have to say, "I wonder if this is good or bad or not." You might have to go to somebody, go to a close friend, go to somebody spiritually mature, and say, "You know, I've been having this. Is this a sin or is this an idolatry or is this just kind of okay?" Or somebody else because our hearts are deceptive, right? You might have to ask somebody else, "What do you think about it?" Um, and then cut it out. Matthew says this. He says, if you look on a woman to, to lust after her, you've committed adultery. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. I mean, Jesus is being a little dramatic, a little exaggerating here, but his point is the same. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So I'll be honest, it's been worth it to get some parts of my body cut out. It hurt, but it's been worth it. Because when I go back now, they say your PSA is undetectable. You don't have any cancer. And I'm hoping in a couple weeks, they're going to say that about my skin, and I'll be cancer free. Of course, God does all the healing. All we do is cut it out. God has to do all the actual healing. Right? So your job is just to cut it out. And we need God's help for that too. Right? So we obey God's word. In the end of that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. And then the wind comes and the storm and it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. So, you know, the architect, the engineer said, you should really dig way down to where the bedrock is, put a foundation there. So one guy did that. The other guy just built his house. His house was built before the other guy had the foundation done, right? But when the storm came, the other house fell down. And you have watched it. I'm old enough now to have watched lots of people who faithfully built their house on what Jesus did, and they obeyed it, and it's withstood a lot of storms. And I've watched other people who knew what they should do, but didn't necessarily do it. And their lives have been a wreck. And the people around them. So we need to do it. So, back to Acts. Sorry, I just had to. I knew you were going to look at this, so I figured I might as well preach about it. Now let's get to Acts. What is Jesus doing? Another question for you What makes you angry? Okay, think about it. What makes you angry? Okay, what made you angry this week? So what makes us angry tells us what matters to us. It's also what motivates us, right? Now, there's been a lot of anger around. When we when we deal with anger and disgust, it's hard. Don't talk about anger, Pastor. We're so tired of anger. I know, but what is it that we're actually angry about? Because that helps to reveal something about what's up with us. Okay, so we're at uh, Paul's second missionary trip. You remember he went to... uh, into Macedonia, to Thessalonica, and Berea, and now he's going to get to Athens. And last time I spoke about this, two weeks ago, um, we're going to look at what Paul did in Athens. But what Paul... what what did Paul here's our questions and these are straight out of John's thought what did Paul see what did he feel what did he do and what did he say I'm not going to get to the say part today too much Um, but that's all out of this so I'm taking quite a bit out of this I I tend to read a few different books a few different commentaries a lot of it's from this just to be honest uh, for today and uh, so I have some guests here last time I was speaking uh, I said they were on their way to Greece they were going to Thessalonica last Two weeks ago on Sunday. And uh, so this is my brother-in-law, Chuck. My, my parents, Jan's brother, Chuck. Uh, we went to seminary together. Come on up here, Chuck. So I I just uh, thought I'd show some pictures. So in this picture, they are in Athens with, uh, what's that up there, Chuck? The Acropolis, right? Acropolis. This big area up here, did you turn it on? Uh,
1: that's the Acropolis up there, uh, which means like big hill. And this is probably the most... Uh, Uh, the famous site in Greece, of all Greece even these days. And, uh, man, what was it, 12,000 people a day come to see it? I don't know, piles of people come to see this. And that's the the Temple of Athena, which is on the Acropolis, which is also called the Parthenon. And look at, I mean, they did not have uh, cranes and uh, telehandlers to build that stuff. They've been reconstructing some things. But marble, and uh, that's a temple to a to a false god or, you know, one of these Greek gods. That's what they built them to.
0: Let me read a little piece. In the Parthenon stood a huge golden ivory statue of of Athena, whose gleaming spear point was visible 40 miles away. Elsewhere on that, there were images of Apollo, the city's patron of Jupiter, Venus, Mercury, Bacchus, Neptune, Diana, and anyway, all the gods of Olympus. And they were beautiful. They were made not only of stone and brass, but of gold, silver, ivory, marble, and they had been elegantly fashioned by the finest Greek sculptors, and a lot of them had color that we don't see now. They were amazing.
1: They were amazing. I got to tell you, all around there, what they built for these gods, these temples, these uh, idols, uh, was amazing. And they put a lot of time and money in it. Years uh, building that that thing, as well as other structures. And so it's like, wow. You know, what, I mean, why did they do that? They just they just did it. I guess mm-hmm. there's there's religiosity that mm-hmm. was shown. There's um, a desire for people to worship something other than themselves, and uh, and they're looking for it or making things they can, uh, you know, they can worship. And so this is this is kind of the granddaddy of them. There was also some of you wear Nike shoes. There was a temple of Nike, temple of Nike, which is Nike, uh, and uh, and all sorts of temples. And so this is on the high point this is one that a lot of people come to see and they've been reconstructing it but it's it's just uh, you know a place to to worship and uh, also to say we are in Athens and this is a great place to be and kind of show off to the world I guess
0: right so here's another thing the Acropolis from the town's ancient Citadel was elevated enough to be seen for miles around and has been described as one vast composition of architecture and sculpture dedicated to the national glory and to the worship of the gods does this remind anybody of any other buildings you've ever seen? Uh, youth. Does this remind you of any other buildings you've ever seen? They're like, oh, I don't want to get the wrong answer. Anybody else? Lincoln Memorial, yeah. it was Lincoln Memorial was, was was modeled after that. We we like to think of the glory of ancient Greece and Rome I mean, they were really proud of their democracy, which is where Athens was the first in democracy. So this is five centuries later, and so they're not at the height, but they're still proud of who they are. This is the culture capital, the intellectual capital of the ancient world. I mean, Paul grew up in one of the intelligentsia places. So Alexandria, Tarsus, and Athens. But Athens was the peak. So Paul finally gets, you know, he graduated from the University of Tarsus, University of of uh, Jerusalem, but now he's at Athens. I mean, this is like going to Oxford or Cambridge or the Pinnacle. Okay, go ahead. Paul's a tourist, right?
1: Next slide, perhaps, there. So this is a picture of the public square, and down kind of in the middle, it's all flat, but there's ruins and um, probably parts of temples and statues and different idols. And so this is called the Agora, which means public square or marketplace area. And uh, there's a, another temple there that's pretty cool, but it's not as big as the one I just showed you. But that whole area is the marketplace. And just to think that that's where probably the Apostle Paul, you know, a missionary to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, to, uh, to the non-Jews. I mean, he cared about Jews too. But he was there ministering as he was kind of sauntering along. You can imagine him all around that area where the trees are and kind of like a big park area. And actually what's not shown on the picture is another, like, um, shopping center They had like 150 stalls for people. And then also part of that building was where some Stoics and philosophers would meet. And we imagine them either meeting there with Paul or, I mean, this is all within just a few blocks of each other. So it's not not like cross town or anything. It's a big town now, five million people in Athens. But just there to what the picture was we showed you is just kind of looking over the hill, so it's a block or two away. And that's probably like a city block or two that we see there. So maybe Paul was in that building or not? We don't know for sure. But um, around that area, then this is the steps to the hill of the God of War, which is uh, Mars Hill. And uh, you know, we imagine maybe Paul stepping up there because they were asking him to hear more about this unknown God that they hadn't heard about this Jesus, and so he uh, he was going to meet more with them, and the high council there. I think religious leaders. I think city leaders too, as. He mentioned that uh, you know that's where democracy kind of started in Athens. So pretty cool city, but again, it was filled with idols and temples, and you know uh, they didn't know everything about the true living God. But Paul was there, and and he was concerned about reaching out to them, and and many did follow him because that's why we have you know churches in Athens and Philippi and Ephesus and Rome, and and we were able to on this whole trip to see a lot of places and the results, and and there's still people struggling with. You know, idols and, you know, all of us, you know, all that kind of thing. So that's still so a. Still now there's something. churches in Athens? Church, there's church in there's Athens. Lots of churches yeah, there's lots Athens. of churches in Athens, lots of churches in Rome, and uh, and so forth. So, anyway, this is, uh, yeah, I think it's the second, last night I was going to be there. So then my dad said, hey, you know, I know I'm not the Apostle <laughs> Paul, but here <laughs> I am on Mars Hill, <laughs> old men of Athens. And then there's a sermon that Paul preached, and. Uh, So, we had a great trip. You can see back there, I I I don't know if it's a block or two, is where the first picture we showed you. So, it's really all just kind of in the big ancient city center. And of course, the city goes on all over for five million people. But this is all within um, just a walkable, you know, a few blocks. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was a great trip. It was a great experience. And it encourages me to learn a lot more because I I still get like a gore and a a areopagus. (laughs) <laughs> and all these things mixed up in my mind, so i got to get things sorted out. So if some of you don't have it all figured out, don't worry. I've, I've been studying for a while. I'm still working on it. But it's an encouragement to us, and it was a faith-building journey, and we've had to share it a little bit. Thanks, sir. All right.
0: Um, I personally wanted him to share just because I want to remind you that these are not stories. This is not myths. This is history. This is what happened. This was five, five centuries before, 450 years before Paul came. Um, Socrates was there. And uh, he was dialoguing and disputing the so- Socratic method of dialogue. And Paul is in the, in the marketplace dialoguing, disputing, very much following the Socratic method. And Paul gets accused of bringing foreign gods, just like Socrates got accused of bringing foreign gods. And they bring him up to the, to the city council to see what, what he's up to. Um, so, Act 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, so Paul is by himself in this city, the culture capital of the world, and he was looking around at all these amazing sights. And what did he see? He was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Um, so what Paul noticed, what Paul saw, he didn't just notice it; he thought about it, he pondered it. That the, the tense is that he was, he was thinking about it he was, um, and, and he's not the only one who says this, uh, Xenophon says Athens was one great altar, one great sacrifice, there were more gods in Athens than in all the rest of the country and the Roman satirist hardly exaggerates when he says it was easier to find a god there than a man there's lots of idols around so what did Paul what, what, what would you see I've been to some places. I've been to the Karnax Temple in, in Egypt, uh, Luxor, and uh, I've been to Paris. Wow. Amazing stuff in Paris, the center. Of, I've been to London. Um, what is it that you see when you go there? I, I You know, toward the Louvre, and amazing artwork. What Paul saw, he saw all that beauty. He was a smart guy. He, he respected. He'd read. All the good stuff. But what he saw was a city smothered by idols. Submerged by idols. Is the, uh, under, just covered with a forest of idols. That's what he saw. And what did he feel? Well, he felt anger, grief, indignation, jealousy that Yahweh was not honored there. Paul prayed, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And he was not impressed because this was God's city with people that God had made and they were not worshiping the God who made them. So our motivation for witness while well, some of us sometimes wonder what, you know, why? Am I motivated to witness? Well, one reason we can witness is obeying God. He says make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. He tells us to witness to who he is. That's a good motivation. Another one is we love people. We see that we know what Jesus could do for people. And we want to help people. Another motivation is indignation for God's honor. You are the image of God. And you're making images to worship instead of the God who made you? How can you do that? Paul, it's just interesting that he he walks in all by himself into the culture capital, the intelligentsia, walks into Oxford and gets angry. He's not intimidated. He says, what is going on here? What is Jesus doing in Athens? Paul is looking. What's Jesus doing? And what are people doing? So what did Paul do? He witnessed. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. That's what he always did, right? He goes with his people and he tells them, Jesus is the Messiah we've been waiting for. He tells them the story we we looked at in Thessalonica and Berea. Um, And he spoke daily in the public square we just looked at to all who happened to be there. So there's shops, there's people talking. He, he just spends his day there dialoguing using that good Socratic method, talking to people. What about talking about God? Talking about... He also had a debate, dialogue with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them that Jesus about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? What's this It's the pictures of a a seed picker, some kind of crow, just... It's this plagiarizer, just picking up this and that and throwing it around. They're just mocking him. Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. So they're curious. Now, what I want you to see is that there is no place where Jesus isn't, where God isn't. Now, Paul gets there, okay? My daughter went to Macalester, and I told her, you know, be a good missionary, learn stuff, and she... She initially was kind of intimidated. We we all went back to Africa, with the with the you know what was going on at McAllister, try to figure out things out. And then, and then she started reading about the history of McAllister, and she "This was supposed to be Jesus College. This was founded to glorify Jesus." I'm not a foreigner here. This is my college, and I'm going to talk about Jesus. Jesus is here. Somebody talked just the other day talked about McAllister as the belly of the beast. I mean, Hannah wouldn't like that. Jesus is there. Um, so, there are not places where we, uh, so Paul goes to the university, and he gets called up by the faculty and says, what are you teaching? And he, he's ready for it. He's done his homework. We're, we're not going to look at all that, but who, where, when. So, religious folks at church, Paul is there. Are you, are you ready to talk to religious folks? A lot of us are, are more prepared to talk to religious folks who might be kind of nominal, and we, we say, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and Jesus died for you. And, and people think that actually people know we're just trying to help them put it in place. There's other people who are like, God? Who says there's a the God? That Jesus meant? Do you believe that stuff? We've got to be prepared for... But some people are just, they just need to know that, like Paul went to the synagogue and said, hey, Jesus, it's the fulfillment of your story. He also was everyone in public places daily. How many of you are ready to talk about Jesus in public places? To dialogue, to figure out how to have. And when Hannah was at McAllister, she had to figure out how to have those conversations. She figured out you can do slam poetry, you can talk about your sex life, you can talk about anything in a slam poetry. You can talk about grace and God and anything. So she did. She found out, you know, I can say, you know, I personally am offended by some of these cheers. As a religious person and as a woman. And she, she could talk about, um, she could, of course, she could talk to the university chapter. She could come here. But there were, she figured out ways to talk at McAllister about Jesus. There's no place you can't talk about Jesus. You know, you talk about him different in the marketplace than you do at church. But Paul is talking about him everywhere. And then intellectuals in dialogues at the university. He talks to these philosophers. He's going to end up at the Areopagus with the high council of the city, it's not clear if they're kind of like, not, not quite a trial. They're trying to figure out if they should arraign him or what, you know, what, is, is he called on the carpet by the faculty or what exactly is happening? But he is ready and he is witnessing. And but why? See, I think we don't get to the do because we don't see what Paul saw. We don't see what Jesus is doing. And we don't see that God needs to be honored. And we don't see the idolatry in our own hearts and in the people around us. We look in the mirror, hopefully we read our Bibles, but maybe we don't quite see, you know, what is that thing on my face? Maybe I should do something about that. When you thought about what got you angry, was it that Jesus isn't hallowed? His name isn't holy? Or was it maybe some other God? Or your comfort? Or democracy or something else? I'll be honest, I get angry about other things a lot of times that aren't really jealousy. Now, anger is usually bad. Our human anger is bad. But, you know, when you're if somebody's sleeping with your husband or wife, you have a right to be angry. And that's how God sees it. Paul, the word that it says he was provoked to anger is in the Septuagint, the Greek translation, the same word that talks about God being angry when they worship the golden calf at Sinai, when they go off with the God of pure, when, when there's idolatry, he gets upset because that's his wife. She's not supposed to be sleeping with those other gods. Do we? Do we, I'm not going to go into all the ways that we have idolatry because we've talked about that before, but, you know, we see other places where people get angry in Acts. They get angry when their money gets messed with and their business gets messed with and their, their pride gets, greatest Diana of the Ephesians! greatest Diana of the Ephesians! They just yell that for hours because their money's getting messed with and their national pride is getting messed with. Don't touch our, right? And when he comes to the temple, Everything's fine. He's speaking their language until he says, well, the Gentiles, God sent me to the Gentiles. They're like, no, no, that's not our tribe. Ever get upset because other tribes aren't doing for your tribe? What is it that makes you angry? It's just a little diagnostic. (laughs) Next time you get angry, you can say, why am I angry? Um, So back to something we said before, who saves? Jesus. Is acting already? Jesus is already in Athens when Paul shows up. Doesn't look like it. There's no, there is no god to Jesus. He finds one idol that says to the unknown god. He goes from there, and he tells these intellectuals that they're ignorant. Very careful. Um, our part is to discern, to look, to listen, to say what is Jesus doing. What is Jesus doing in our society? What's he doing in me? And what, how can I cooperate more fully? Where is the idolatry? And then take a risk and obey and speak and confront. And it starts with getting it cut out of ourselves. Because if we don't get the idolatry cut out of ourselves, we won't even notice it in Just like everybody else. Take a risk to obey. And then Jesus acts. For us. And Athens is full of Greek Orthodox churches and other kinds of churches. Because Paul showed up and he got angry. He's awesome. And you know, Stott says it seems to be that in cosmopolitan cities, it's even more that way. There's a lot of idols. What do you fear? What do you depend on? What do you get angry about? What we can ask those questions and we can figure out what's our real idols? What are your real idols? We need to focus on the one, true God. So what do you see? What do you hear? Do you see idolatry and disobedience in you or in others? Ask God to open your eyes. God, open my eyes. Because I don't want to just let it go. I don't want to just let cancer just kind of be there. as it spreads. What do you feel? Does it provoke anger? Does it provoke love? What will you do? So first step, why don't you come tonight at 6 o'clock? We have an expert who travels around to different universities every week and takes on their Stump the Chump with with, uh, dialogues with other intellectuals. He um, also teaches graduate students how to witness. And he's going to be here at 6 o'clock to tell us how to witness. So great opportunity. And we keep saying there's three times, and then there's a fourth time. He's going to be here for three times. The fourth time, we're going to decide, so what are we going to do about this? Not only individually, but together. So that's one invitation for you tonight. So what is Jesus doing? Let's have the worship team come up. Lord, we are, That I humbly acknowledge that I don't care enough about your honor. That I sometimes let sin and other gods hang around. I don't care enough But your honor and other people in my city and my friends. God, would you give me eyes to see what you see. Feelings to feel what you feel. And wisdom to do what you are doing, to participate with what you're doing in people's lives. Including in my life, Jesus. Help us now as we worship you. Speak to us. Stay in worship and worship and pray some more but I'm also going to give a benediction. Go in the amazing love of the Father the God who created everything who takes care of history who gave His Son for you. Go with Jesus where Jesus is. Jesus who died for you who gave Himself so you could be forgiven and accepted. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses.